stealing in as relapse hums above the den. It's hard to know if this will Welcome to episode 430 of the Thinking Poker podcast from Catonsville, Maryland. I am Andrew Brokus. And from Las Vegas, Nevada, I'm Carlos Welch. And from California, Fausto Valdez. Fausto, thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, man. Excited to be here. So for people who don't know, you are a professional poker player, a coach affiliated with solve for why I know at one time you were with Red Chip as well. I think of you as primarily a cash game person, but I know you've had some tournament success as well. Have, have I described you adequately? Have I left anything out? Uh, I would say I'm part of like Jocker coaching now as well. I'm doing content for them, but yeah, everything else is pretty accurate. Awesome. So where does where does the story start? You're from New York originally? Yeah, I was born and raised in New York. I uh, got into poker over there via being bored with my cousins. We got a cheap poker set, got into it, accidentally played with two decks of cards. Uh, that was great. <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, we <laughs> then we found out like, oh, okay, we're playing it wrong, but it was really exciting. And then I got hooked, took a serious, and now I'm here today talking to you. When was that like Moneymaker era when you first got into it? Yeah, Moneymaker era. We saw one of those like ESPN commercials. Um, I think it was like something with Poker Stars or Phil Tilt, one of those things. And then back then, like we we went to a, like a Models gift shop, not a Models Sporting Goods, and uh, we got a poker set and uh, we, we read the books, didn't really understand it. But yeah, that's how it started. Did you grow up? I mean, I guess you didn't grow up playing poker, but did you grow up playing games? Maybe not like poker games, but a lot of like competitions, a lot of like sports and stuff. Like I was always into like baseball by trade as a Dominican. I didn't have a choice. (laughs) (laughs) Got into football, tried to get into basketball, never like really got hooked into it. I got into paintball also, which is a whole different thing. But yeah, I just love sports and competition. Yeah. Did I read that you were a professional paintball player at one point? I wouldn't say professional, but <laughs> I was definitely uh, trying to become a professional along with my with my brother. We were like, we'll be part of teams. I will be the captain of like a few teams and we will like travel around the state uh, competing in like professional like like leagues. And there's like different rankings. So there's like professional, semi-pro and then like D1, D2, D3. So I would compete like in the D3, D, D2 level. I was part of an organization trying to get to like D1 and pro. But politics got in the way and yeah, we, uh, I quit people. So. Wait, politics got in the way. What does that mean? Yeah, it's just like, okay. So I was competing one day in like a really big event. Think of it as like WSUP main event. And it got to like a pivotal point in our match where like, I kind of fucked up uh, and tried to get away with uh, pretending I didn't get hit with a paintball. <laughs> got got caught, and that causes like a penalty, and uh, everybody was mad. And it's crazy because like that's like the one time I like fucked up the whole year, but because it was like such a pivotal moment, like everybody like 
held that against me, even though I was like the best performer throughout the whole year in several events. But because of that one incident, it's like, all right, well, I got crucified. And then like, instead of getting like, let's say promoted to like the higher threshold of paintball teams in the, within the organization, I got like demoted, held back. And it's like, yeah, you could be the captain, but like part of the D3 squad, it's like, we'll just keep you down there until like, we decide, you know, when you get to move up. And I just got stuck with a bunch of fucking like hooligans and like people that wasn't <laughs> taking it serious. And and I'm older at this point and like, and I'm like, All right, I gotta fucking make money. Nobody's taking it serious. I'm like stuck here. And like, it just kind of killed the joy for me. And I'm just like, fuck this. And then, then eventually I, I got reintroduced into poker again because I had stopped for a few years at this point. And then I fell back in love with poker. And I'm like, yeah, I'm gonna do this instead. Like, fuck paintball. I had no idea there was even such an organized uh, competitive paintball scene. Where where does the money for that come? Like to say you're professional, what is that? Like, how, how do you make a living playing paintball? Yeah, so a lot of sponsorships and it's like so hard. Like you have to be like 0. 0.0 fucking one of, by the way, I curse a lot. I don't even want to curse on that, but I just curse a lot. Not a problem for me. I need, you know, the New York Dominican in me. <laughs> You got to be like top, top pro, like sponsorship. Like people have to like pay for you, like get free stuff to like kind of like bring down the cost of competing. Because other than that, like the sport is like really, really expensive. Um, You have to pay like for all the equipment, travel expenses, the entries for the tournaments, like all that stuff. And then like if you win, uh, usually at a certain point, you're either competing for like money or uh, prizes like like the the paintball guns or like gear which you can like resell and make some money you know so that's how that's how it was back then if you're not competing for like actual just straight up cash which then you got to split with the whole team so like it's really not much stuff unless you're like one of the top pros basically yeah that sounds like a tough way to make a living yeah that's why i'm in poker so <laughs> <laughs> Which is which is hard in its own ways, but it's it's a lot better than. than I mean, at least the money's there to be won. I mean, you still have to be good, but like you're just you're drawing from a much larger pool. Yeah, and honestly, like one of the things I appreciate is that everything is on me, like for the most part, right? Like, like you know, like you're still gonna have like your support team, like people you work with, coaches, and all that. But like other than that, like it's all on you. Like you put in the work and you know great but in paintball like you got to depend on other people and like at some point i started despising that so i'm like I i'm just like no like because i know how much i like i work like work really hard and like if i gotta depend on somebody else like for my success like i i just i can't anymore so yeah i've had people ask me from time to time often like people i coach sometimes who are not necessarily your professional poker players who are kind of like aren't there Aren't there other ways that you could be making money? Or just not not me specifically, but just like poker pros in general. They're like, I mean, if, if you're so smart and like working so hard, couldn't you do something else to make money? I'm like, yeah, it's not about this is the most profitable thing I could be doing. It's like this is the thing that doesn't require me to rely on so many other people and like gives me independence. Yeah. And it's also like comes down to like what you're passionate about. Like, yeah, we can make a lot more money doing something else. But if I if I don't care about it, I'm not passionate about it, like, what's the point? Like, I don't want to be miserable doing something else just for the sake of money. I think I think it's like a dumb argument, honestly. It's like I will be a doctor and like study for it, but like, am I gonna care about it? Like, probably not. You probably won't want me as a doctor. So, <laughs> it's like, let, let like let me do poker. Like, I really enjoy it. Like, I'm not harming anybody. Everything's good. You know, it's like it's, it's all good. Let's stick to poker. So what what was the story for how you got back into 
poker. I mean, it, it sounded like you kind of, you discovered it with your cousins and then paintball sort of took over for a while and then you got re-engaged by poker. Is that the timeline? Yeah. So I guess for like more background, like when I got into it with my cousin, like we'll play like, we'll play home games for like lunch money and stuff, you know, just like between like friends and, and family. Um, and then it got to a point I took it serious, started playing in like poker stars, full toe back then started reading like books and like watching training videos and and i was working at the bank at this point as a teller and then got promoted to a banker so like i was with the bank for like seven years and in between all this like like black friday happened at some point so i stopped was working in the bank and then you know the whole paintball thing happened quit that and then like towards the end of like my last like three to four years of uh working at the bank I was dating someone that like took me to the casino, my first casino experience to like play poker because like I was like starting to get back into it. And, you know, she saw like how passionate I was. So she she gave it to me as like a birthday gift. So I went to, I went to Atlantic City and had like my first one to live experience and luckily won. So it helped like the whole experience, had a bunch of fun. I really, really enjoyed it. And I'm like, yeah, like, I, I want to, like, do more of this. So I would say kind of forgot the year at this point. Like, maybe, like, mid-2015, like, 2015 around there, or like, 2014 or 2016, sometime around there. Like, um, just got, like, really, really into it again. Watched more videos, seek out coaching at some point. And then I just got myself to a point where, like, I felt comfortable enough to actually just quit my job and give myself a chance in doing this. Um, I, I just I just looked at it as like, do I wanna stay in the bank trying to convince people to bring money into the bank for the next 40, 50 years? Like, probably don't wanna do that. So now I just like bluff people for money now, you know? <laughs> so, <laughs> so now I just kind of like take it at the poker table. So yeah, and it's, uh, and that's how I got back into it. And then like, I, you know, I guess I became pro at some point i just quit my job and like just gave myself a shot and that, that's all it takes to be a professional you quit your job yeah i'm so i'm still here so there we go <laughs> do you think it was inevitable that you would have found poker again or do you think that that gift from the the person you were dating at the time really uh changed the trajectory of your life it definitely changed the trajectory i think it would have been inevitable anyways because i was like not really like enjoying my job anymore um although i was very grateful for it i just like was just not enjoying it. I was just like kind of dead inside. And then, you know, started playing poker again. I'm like, okay, I really don't want to do this anymore. So I just like really went like full statement to like poker. That's like all I could think about like night and day. Like I remember at one point, like it wasn't working out for me. Like I just fucking broke down crying in the kitchen, like in front of her. Cause I'm like, I'm trying so fucking hard to make this work. And I just couldn't figure it out. That's like how much I cared. And then and then things eventually did turn around. So pretty happy about that. Yeah, I heard a quote that I'm going to screw up here, but it was something to the effect. I heard somebody say, if someone asked them if they, sh if they should be a poker professional, they would tell them no. And if the person couldn't take no for an answer, if they could not be a poker professional, then that's somebody that, says that the game is for. And it sounds like that was the case with you is that, you know, when you try to like, you know, at least after that second experience, after you try to like do something besides this, you just realize you couldn't. 
Yeah, and I guess I'm kind of stubborn in that way that I, I feel like I could like figure it out if I just get the right direction and guidance. And eventually I did and uh yeah, it worked out. But yeah, like it it's hard, man. It's it's like it's with anything. Like you just put all your like time and, and energy and passion into it, and it's like you really want things to work out. Sometimes it doesn't, sometimes it does, and you know, in my case it did work out. So but it, it definitely didn't come with like without its wings like i remember like my first two months like i, I lost like two-thirds of my role and i'm like all right well guess i'm gonna dip into the 401k backup money and i did and then and then it worked out so yeah yeah i think all of us who've been around as long as we have have had a moment where any sane person would have quit but because we, we got to be a little bit crazy to, to, to love this game as much as we do, that we we overcome that. And and I think that's what it takes to make it, man. You, you got to be a little bit crazy because, yeah, you definitely have those moments where you, like like you said, breaking down in the kitchen. It's like when you get through something like that and you still want it, then it's for you. Yeah, you definitely got to become a little bit obsessive. Like, I, I would say it's not healthy, obviously, in the long run, but, like, there's times in, like, let's call it your career, your your path, like, that you have to, like, over-dedicate your time and energy to kind of, like, catch up and, like, really figure things out. Like, I can't, like, just sit there be, like, half-assing it for, like, years and, like, hope it works out. It's like, if you, if you really care about something, you're going to put your time and energy into it and, like... I'm just as passionate today as I was back then. Like I, I really enjoy just like figuring things out. Um, and and if anything, that's like one of the things I learned about myself is just like I just love like puzzle solving, almost to like an addiction. And just like I want to figure this out and like be dominant and like um that that's how I just like kind of approach things. Like I'm just I just work really hard in that sense. Like yeah, so you got to be kind of crazy, yeah. <laughs> It sounds like initially you're on the East Coast, right? Playing in like Atlantic City parks, I imagine. When when do you move west? I moved west. So I've been here like now, like what is it, like five years now? So I came like right before the pandemic. So I got here like 2019. So yeah, prior to that, I was playing everywhere, like Borgado, Park, Sands, all those places. Sands, Sands now is like west creek something but sands was like my little baby i love that place and the people i got to play with and the people i met um but yeah like pre-pandemic i moved to the west coast and i was still trying to grind like two five getting into five ten then the pandemic happened and i was just starting to get into five ten and fun story like in the middle of that like there was only like a few casinos open it was like indian casinos they didn't follow like the same laws that other casinos had to follow so like they were open so like i would grind there and like i luckily met one of my friends now that he was a grinder we were like battling and like, we got to know each other and he told me how he got into like some home games because that was starting to pop off and you know he was getting back into big games and i just kind of like threw in there i'm like hey you know they they need they need somebody else you know like i might be for hire <laughs> <laughs> so uh he was like you know what i think i could make that work i'm like all right cool so i just sat there waiting and then like a week later he's like hey uh such and such is gonna call you like get ready like they're gonna like talk to you so it's like a little like an interview i'm like all right cool so 
uh you know these two guys hit me up we literally like had an interview style like they were like asking me questions and stuff uh, about my experience and my knowledge and stuff and they hired me as a horse so <laughs> then i started becoming a horse for like some home games for like a few months in those pandemic years um and it was pretty pretty nice a lot of i saw a lot of stuff man that i probably shouldn't have seen but i saw it a lot of poker and uh yeah it was uh it was fun it was uh financially rewarding so so these these are not home games on poker bros these are like home game home like live in person home games you ever seen like molly's game uh, i know what it is i've not seen it okay so it, it's like the stereotypical like hollywood like poker movie where like you know you have like all these like rich people bringing in money like women in lingerie like people doing drugs and drinking like all this stuff it's like all of that like times like five like it was just insane it was just like every home game was borderline a house party you will be like in home games where like you know a lot of things were exchanging and in the corner of the fucking like house or or two like there's like one through three like sometimes four poker games all like 25 50 50 100 100 200 like wall these straddles people are playing like they're like infinitely deep like any anything from like 10k to like 100k and we're just like fighting um like battling and then like you have all these like women in lingerie like bringing you shots and stuff and yeah it was just like it was fucking insane and it was just like every single day for like months I just, I, I never been so sleep deprived and drunk every fucking day of my life for like months on. <laughs> and yeah, I was just like playing my part. So that was kind of like my semi introduction to California before the first few months that I got here. It was like normal casino poker. And then like the second half was like all these home games. And then after that, it's like I had to come back into the real world once everything was started, like come back to normal. And then I got surely more into like tournaments afterwards, after the whole home game thing. During, during this time at the beginning of the pandemic, what happened for tournament players is that a lot of the live tournament players could no longer no longer play live, so they moved online. Did, did, did that happen at all with the cash game players? I think just in general, everybody like went online. Um, so it was either going to like home games or like the apps. I never really mess with our apps. I play with them a little bit, but I'm just more of a live guy if I'm not playing like online. And like, I, I think it's like easier to see that like you could just get like really screwed uh, with the app games. Like, I quickly saw that like you have to like really trust like the agent, the, the host, and hope not to get screwed over. And like, I just don't want any part of that like at all. So, I just never got into it. Like, I got into like maybe two because I really, really knew like the people running it and like other than that i was just like nah i'm not messing with this so like i personally just played like home games until like i was able to play in the casino games okay so is, is the trust thing not an issue with the live private games though i mean the environment that you're describing especially if you're like drinking and stuff it sounds like it wouldn't be that hard for someone to be cheating you if they were inclined to do that Oh yeah, for sure. I mean, it's definitely happened. Um I got fortunate that I don't think I've ever really gotten cheated because like when I was winning and two, I, I didn't see anything egregious like when I was personally there, but like the other horses that like were playing, they were telling me some hands and like pots that went down. 
with characters that like would just never play a certain way and then all of a sudden like they spaz and then like they win this massive pot and they'll go back to being tired and it's like what the hell just happened yeah yeah and then we're like up the stakes out of nowhere and they're like oh you know let's play for straddle and then like out of nowhere like a big hand will go down like some egregious stuff and i'm like wow man like you just like i think you like something is weird like and then you will never see them play like that ever again anywhere else and it's like okay like that's just that's just kind of wild like that that happened so like i, I think you know my friends like definitely like got screwed so they took the short end of it unfortunately and that's just like one of the few stories i've heard like i've heard like other stories too and it's like you know I, I, like it's just unfortunate so so yeah it could happen but like i personally got like really really lucky I got lucky too that like some games that like got got raided or robbed, like I wasn't there. Like there's some, there's been times like I was supposed to go to games and like I didn't for one reason or another. And then like the day after or like that night, like the game got robbed. I'm like, what the fuck? Like I was literally supposed to be there, and like shit would just go down. I'm like, Jesus Christ! Like I just like keep getting lucky. Like as yeah, they talk about running good. Yeah, I was running really fucking good. Like too good. <laughs> like. <laughs> It's yeah. It happened like four different occasions. I'm like, this is insane. Like, and then you know, at some point, I'm like, all right, I gotta like stop messing with these, especially when it started dying down. I'm like, all right, like this is enough. And then I just came back into the light, you know, <laughs> so the, the regular games came came out of the darkness, have a normal sort of a semi normal life. Is that whole house party environment? Is that like a temptation? for you like you know the the drinking and the drugs and the sex and everything like is are you just kind of like this is just nonsense and i want to play poker and i just have to deal with that happening in in the background or is that something that you're sort of like in danger of getting sucked into yeah it's definitely a danger like um like me personally like i obviously just like want to like playing with money and like it was fun like you know drinking like having fun and, and stuff but like at some point it's like all right can like we just like play fucking poker like it, it was getting like too much at some point like there was games it was just like more of a house party than like a poker game and yeah and i'm just like all right like this is like this is just too much um and and if anything it actually started killing the games because it's like people weren't even playing anymore they just like want to like fuck around and I'm like, all right, this is this is just like bad. Um, so it pushed me even further to like go back to like just regular games. Well, and I guess like whoever's running the game is possibly making more money off of those other things than they are off of the game too. So they're not necessarily like encouraging people to keep the game going. I would imagine. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And I don't blame them. Like I, I get it, but I gotta make a personal decision at some point. Yeah, yeah, and like, and I, I would get offered a bunch of like. Get put into games and stuff and, and it just got to the point i'm just like nah i just it's just not worth it like i just nah like i would i was like it got to a point like I'll, I'll i'll be able to make more money playing like five ten at that point like than playing 10 quarters splitting profits and then like the game sucks and it's like it's not good and it's like no nah, like it's just it's just not worth it so and then my sanity i'm like all right i, I need to pick my sanity over money at some point <laughs> So you you were just straight to California. You never lived in in Las Vegas with the like South Hawaii people. No. So when I was deciding to move away from New York, you know, I, I, my my girlfriend at the time, now my wife, you know, I told her like I love you, but like I gotta move somewhere closer to a casino because like I was traveling like three to four hour round trips from where I live to go to a casino. And I told her like, all right, we gotta move somewhere. Um, and basically the options were like California, Vegas, or Florida. Like, 
you find a job in any of those states and I will just go. And she found a job in Cali. So I'm like, great, we moved. And it was Cali. Um, so, so that's how I ended up in Cali actually, uh, because of that. Um, which looking back, I'm really happy worked out that way. Yeah, it's probably the best of those venues. Yeah, for sure. Um, especially like for cash. Yeah. So like with a software wide guys, like I would just like, you know, like travel to Vegas um whenever like an academy was going or like I wanted to attend one myself. That's how like I would go back and forward. Why why are the California cash games better than the Vegas cash games? I my my theory is that like it's marketing. Like every time somebody thinks of like, oh, let me become a pro and like you know, make it, they, it's like Vegas, right? Like everybody thinks Vegas. So I think, I think Vegas got saturated with like all these like pros. Also the cost of living is cheaper. So like, I think that influenced like how things are structured and like behaved. And I think it just makes kind of everything worse. Like everything's like, everybody's like so nitty, like so nitpicky about everything. Or you have all these like serious people trying to make it like, playing there so everybody's like has a serious attitude and it's just like it just like fucking kills everything and then when you look at california like it's kind of like the opposite like it's an expensive state like people apparently have too much fucking money out here um and they don't give a fuck and it's just like they just fucking like play like it's it's like night and day like so i think my theory is like marketing i, I think I think Vegas just got oversaturated with like too many like series like grinders or whatever. Um, uh, I think that's my theory. Yeah, I don't. There's nothing worse than going to play poker and then you realize these other motherfuckers are trying to win too. Yeah, and, <laughs> you know, like I don't blame them, but it's like fucking smile or something. Like chill the <laughs> fuck out, like breathe, man. Like, like I get it. We're all trying to make a living, but like enjoy your life a little bit. Okay, well, this actually, there's a question from Twitter related to this. Uh, Young Man Coffee said, not a question, but please prompt him to go off about live game reads based on nitty chip stacks. Oh, my God, man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, okay, this is funny. So this is this started as like a semi-troll. Like, I, I would just know it as like the really, really nitty players that they would just sit there and like, build nice little castles with their fucking chip stacks and to the point that they will like perfectly line up all the, the edges of the, the chips yeah and it's like and i just kept noticing that and this is always the same people it's just like the fucking nits and i'm like like you like you guys are so fucking bored not playing that you have time to build little castles and perfectly align your chips like you know how much time not playing poker you need to be able to do that, <laughs> it's like, it's fucking insane. So every time I would see this, I'm like, ah, right, I'm gonna start taking a picture of this. Like, I'll just take a picture of the NIST stack. I'm not gonna disrespect the person. I'll just take a picture of the NIST stack and I just post and like make fun of it basically. And like demonstrating that like, this is driving me fucking crazy. Um, like I'm in this game with this net and like he's fucking building little castles over here while I'm trying to like check race bluff my fucking whole stack on the river and shit. Like, and this, this motherfucker is like building a little castle and shit. I'm like this, this fucking, this fucking game, man. So that was that was the whole like meme about that. And then, like people started loving it. And I'm like, all right, I guess I'll just make this a thing now. So yeah, yeah. Now that you mentioned that, I, I do remember seeing some of those. Uh, I, I didn't realize it was a whole shtick that you did, but yeah, I, I do remember seeing some of those posts. Yeah, it was it was pretty funny. It was it, and like 
I, I think people think I like go like really like get more mad about it than is perceived. Like I'm not like really mad. It's just like it's just kind of funny to like see it and point it out. And it's very consistent. It's always the same people. Now I got people like trying to anti net stack me. And I'm like, no, bro, like I know I know who you are. Like <laughs> I, I play with you. You can't anti-nit stack me. Like it's not gonna work. Like, no. And then it's a very specific way how people go about it. Like you could tell when it's genuine versus like purpose. I'm like, nah, man, you you're not you're not gonna catch me. <laughs> you're not catching me out here. <laughs> I know my nits, man. And I, I fucking I know when I see a nit, man. The way you behave. The way you don't get into pots, I know who the fuck you are, man. <laughs> well, I mean, it's it's frustrating too, as a, and I mean, I'm, I've kind of straddled the line. I'm not the most like active player in the world, but I try to be like good, good for the game. Because I mean, you're doing work that's making the game good for those people, and then right. they're just kind of sitting there and like free freeloading essentially. There's like, oh yeah, I'll just like wait for the nuts and let you do the work of like entertaining the action players. God, that's that's so true, man. I'm kind of tilting now. I'm fucking doing all the work here. Somebody <laughs> <laughs> just leeching off my work. Some bullshit, man. <laughs> well, I feel like, I mean, tournaments, I think, are particularly bad for this because, you know, in Cal especially like high, I mean, California is maybe a little bit different because it's such a big market. But, you know, I've been in places, uh, Pittsburgh was, was most notable about this, where it was like, you know, there there are only a few people in the Pittsburgh area who are looking to play a high stakes poker game. So it's like, you know, if, if there is a game five ten or bigger that's going, you know, I usually know every person who's who's there. There's an interest even among all the the pros. You know that like you need. There's only a few people you know who who are losing players and like keeping them happy is important, and you recognize that. And with tournaments, especially people I think who are traveling the tournament circuit, you don't have like you don't know your customers. Right? Like the the work of the marketing is being done by you know, the World Poker Tour or whoever, and all you have to do is sort of like show up and and collect the money. And so you don't have the same interest in like customer satisfaction because you're not seeing the same people um, over and over again. You're just sort of like swooping into town. And it's particularly annoying, like as a local pro, when the tournament comes into town and you see the like out of town pros disrespecting your your customers, and you're like, "Come on, man! <laughs> like, I gotta, yeah, I got to keep this guy in the game. Don't fuck." <laughs> yeah, I, and it's unfortunate like, that they don't say that. Like, like luckily, like I've played past most of my career, so like I I get it. So like, no matter where I would go, like I I would kind of like try to hold up the same regard and interest. So yeah, I mean, I I I understand. I, I agree with you. Yeah, I mean, that's the that's also like the nice thing about tournaments, where like you don't have to like like necessarily like satisfy like people's like you know uh, yeah. game interests, you know. So like I really enjoy that part. Um, like the last few times I went to go play cash and like I had to do that. I'm like I I do not miss this. And then like the 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 people doubling up and just like snack. Uh, snap racking up and leaving and i'm like yeah <laughs> fuck this man like what the fuck like so yeah there's, there's pros and cons um i kind of wish people had a, like a more of an observable understanding of like what's going on of like you know like if if you're in a game like try to make it like you don't have to go to your way and be a character but like don't be a fucking robot either like just be a person like chime in in conversations like you don't have to like give a whole speech but like just don't sit there like being a rock you know like kind of be part of like what's going on you know and like make it a little bit more enjoyable for people again you don't have to be a character but like read the room kind of thing you know 
yeah don't actively make it worse don't don't be grumpy don't be yeah antagonistic yeah a hundred percent yeah and, and and like i and i get it like if you're not in the mood like i don't know what's going on in your life or like fine right but like some people are just like that and it's like all right you're a fucking you're a cancer man like the fuck out of here i get i guess so uh passionate about these things because i i care about it so yeah no i i didn't want to uh interrupt that i was i was enjoying the rant <laughs> <laughs> i could rant on about a lot of things i'm, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna try to keep us somewhat civil <laughs> So what was the impetus then for getting into tournaments? So like after my my home game experience, like I noticed like at a certain point, like specifically like tank quarter plus, like all the games become like private, uh, semi-private and or like anything after that is like stream games. And I, I would say if I had like, I had access to like some of these like opportunities, like whether it's like stream games or like home games, but it's just like, if it's a home game, like I have to do with like the political stuff as well as like potentially getting cheated and like the games may not be good and like the traveling, all this stuff. And then it was a stream game that has its own political things. And then, and yeah, there's that. So it's like, it got to a point where like, okay, this is getting, this is becoming like more than just a game. It's like, you know the relationships you you have with people which you're gonna need anyways but if i have to behave a certain way like besides me to just get into a game i i almost rather not i i just rather stay true to like who i am um i don't want to like kiss ass to anybody i i don't care for it i just rather do my own thing so i realized like okay this is gonna have a ceiling to it and I'm like, what else can I do? So I'm like, well, I could do tournaments because tournaments, I just pay and show up and there's nothing political about it. Like you have the money, you show up, that's it. So I can't get kicked out of a game for it, right? Or or have to like play the political game. And the ceiling could be higher if you're good at it. Obviously there's traveling involved with it, probably more expenses, but the potential is there. So I'm like, okay, let me start getting into tournaments, like really taking it more seriously. Cause I was always playing it, but like never like as serious as I am now. And then I started like really, really grinding, getting into it to like learn more about it. Um, but yeah, that's where I stand from. It's like the lack of potential in the cash games once you get to like 10 quarter plus and it's like, all right, let me, let me start doing tournaments and getting into it. Well, yeah, and it starts to be like, it, it's almost a different job. Like playing cards isn't really the job anymore. The like networking and politicking is the job. And then like once you're in the game, beating the game is maybe not that hard if, if you're getting into the right game but it's like you're not really a professional poker player at that point you're something else yeah and even if you are there like now you gotta play like purposely like worse or like do other shit just because like for the sake of like sticking around and making certain people happy so like yeah it like feeds into the the narrative of like you got into the game you gotta like make people happy you know keep keep the network of those people happy and it's like yeah i just i just don't want any part of it honestly like I'll probably do it once in a while, like, but like as a constant thing, like I, I just don't want a part of it. Did you notice differences from the way that you were trained to handle money at a, at a bank or the way that banks handle money to the way that you know, casinos and cashiers at casinos handle money? Like if I saw any differences and how- Yeah, they... just like, I just, it just occurs to me that, you know, they're, they're both businesses that you deal potentially with like large amounts of cash, which not very many businesses do. And, and you know, they have tight procedures around them. But I'm curious if they're like the same procedures, if there are things that you're like, oh, we never would have done it like that at the bank. 
Casino tellers are slow as fuck. Um, they're, <laughs> they're so goddamn slow, man. Like, sometimes they're allowed to use machines, sometimes they're not. And then, like, I know the casino tellers, like, had to be very, like, clear in how they're counting the money. So, like, they have to, like, sometimes count them in, like, one case, like, right in front of you, like, lay it all out, you know? Very clear for the cameras to see. And then, and then, like, in the, in the bank, it's more like, you know, like, we're running through the machine, we'll show you a screen strap it up for you give it to you if you want us to kind of by hand like we can but it's like not really necessary and also in the bank like you know you you gotta people want to feel a little bit more secure than like money in and out whereas the whereas in the casino it's like kind of known like everybody's walking with money so it's like a different environment but as far as like the procedures yeah like like sometimes I wish I could just jump back there and like show them how to like properly count and handle the money it's like <laughs> You like this whole operation is like fucked. Like we're like waiting way too long for like shit to go down here. Like it's 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 just fucking it's so it's so irritating. <laughs> yeah, I think I woke up a little spicy today, man. I don't know, man. Good for us. I'm feeling I'm feeling some kind of way this morning. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, as long as they gave me the money, man, like I'm good. Like give me my money. Let's go. <laughs> Here's a question from the pessimistic pokerist. I sit down at a Vegas table and notice there is a really good player there. How should I adjust my play? Assume I'm not allowed to change the table. I'm not allowed to change tables, and my image is uh, neutral slash average. How they should approach somebody they perceive to be good. Play your game. Honestly, it's gonna come just down to like frequencies. Like, I think your image doesn't like. I think people too mu- put too much uh, emphasis on image. The game is based on frequencies, you're either going to do something too much or too little, and it's going to show in your game. So if you're not sure about what to do, like do the best you can, because if you try to like come up with something fancy, it might backfire on you and you're going to put yourself in situations that you're not familiar with, which is going to in return make it more comfortable for you. So I would not suggest that. I would say do the best that you know. Yeah, it's not a fancy answer, but it's the truth. Like, just because you perceive the person to be better, like, if you try to, like, outwit them in ways that you're not familiar with, it might just, like, really backfire on you. So, do you agree, Andrew? Yeah, I do. And I, I was thinking the same thing, that um, I feel like almost always when people are asking, you know, should I adjust my play based on... I mean, it's one thing if you can point to a particular tendency that someone has. You know, if you can say, okay, this would be, have to be a bad player. You know, okay, this person is like way too aggressive or way too loose or something. Then like you can talk about how to adjust to that. But just the idea of like, oh, I recognize this person from TV. How should I play differently against them? Like that's... You're already in trouble if you're thinking in those terms. Like the, the way that you would play by default is mostly out like there's a reason why that's the default right like um, right and i guess you should be aware if there are certain things that you do exploitatively if you're just like oh i just never pay off river check raises because people always have it or something i mean honestly that's not the worst advice in the world for playing against <laughs> somebody recognized from tv either but i mean I, I guess it can be useful to recognize like maybe there's some things you do by default that are based on like assuming that the people that you play with are, are usually pretty bad but yeah I, i'm i'm anti making like big adjustments to your game based on just like recognizing somebody yeah and this and i yeah, I agree with all of that this is why like understanding theory is so important because like if you're not sure like default back to theory like you may not make a lot of money but you're not going to get abused neither and you can have like your custom theory like you could like use your experience of like knowing certain lines where people do under bluff or or overdo it right vice versa 
and just like mix that in with with your default and just keep that in mind and then just like observe what the opponent is doing because at, at the end of it at some point that person's going to do something too much or too little and if you know what that looks like then it's like okay then you adjust you know but like you're gonna go in there with a game plan or like freak yourself out because you perceive this person to be better. Like you're, you're gonna you're gonna do some wild shit that like is probably unnecessary, and you're just gonna get yourself in trouble. Okay, I have a theory question okay. for you, and this is something that it, it's it's wild to me that I'm still not confident in the answer to this for as long as I've been playing poker because it's the most fundamental thing that there is. But you know, your your first act in let's say a two five live game, uh, a game that you expect people to be like too loose pre-flop, uh, just weak players in general. Your first act and you have a hand that you want to raise. I'm assuming you're using the same raise size with any hand that, that you're going to raise. How how much are you raising? And you know, it doesn't make a difference if you're 100 or 200 big blind, Steve. I would say this is where I use my custom theory. <laughs> so I, I mean, my default size would be like 15 to 20 bucks in a 2-5 game with, with whatever range I'm opening. So that that was always my approach to it. And I know that that's like what, what most people's approach is. The more that I like think about this and kind of like study it, it's very hard for me to convince myself in theory that you should be opening anything more than minimum from early position. Like from late position, I can kind of say it, but I feel like from early position, a big part of what you're doing is hedging against the possibility that some things happen that are not going to be good for you, right? Where because there's very few hands where you're going to raise under the gun. And then if it turns out that like under the gun plus two wants to contest the pot, whether they call it or three bet, like there's a lot of hands where you would like to go back and say, oh, never mind, I don't want to raise. Right. So part of what you're doing by raising small is you're kind of hedging against, well, if someone, if someone does get involved, I'm going to like that I don't have very much money in here. And I couldn't end up in a good situation where like just the big blind calls or something. And like in those cases, it would have been nice to have used a larger raise size, but I can kind of compensate for that after the flop. So yeah, I mean, it, it, it's conflicting because that's, in, in theory, that makes sense to me. But I know that like, I don't know of any successful, uh, you know, like two, five-ish player who actually uses small race sizes in early position. So it makes me think that like, it, it's kind of hard for me to to trust that over the experience of basically everyone who actually plays in these games. Yeah, no, I actually agree a lot with what you said. I, um, I, I guess... Part of my answer is like you're not getting punished enough with a squeeze and three betting. So like opening larger and that helps you like sort of like thin it out a little bit, like go a little less multi-way, which honestly is not that bad. Like if they're gonna call multi-way like with dominated ranges, um, they're just making it worse for themselves. So it, it's still gonna like help you either way. So I would say it's kind of like a, a bad habit of like back then when I used to play like two five where like I will open like bigger to like kind of like mitigate like the field. So yeah, I agree. It's kind of like a hedging thing. If I were to do it now, like I would definitely lean on more of what you said. What I will say though is that like I still think nowadays you still don't get three best squeeze enough. So like opening bigger becomes less of a mistake. And now you get to like blow up the pot. Even if you go more to where you get to blow up the pot and like if they're still going to call dominated, like now you're just in a bigger pot where they're going to make more mistakes and you just get to like win more money. So I would say in that sense, it's kind of like an exploit to do it. But if you are going to start getting like free bet and squeeze, then yeah, you definitely need to open smaller with the appropriate range and allow yourself to like be able to like 
call and four bet with a more proper SPR for sure. Yeah, I think the 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 squeezes or you know, the, the not getting squeezed and not getting three bet is is definitely making the larger raise, like you said, like at least less of a mistake. But even getting called by players have position on you is is real. I mean, even if they're bad, even if they're calling, you know, like so like if you raise under the gun and under the gun plus two calls with like queen nine offsuit, like it's a bad it's a bad call, but you're not the main beneficiary of that, right? Like the people who are mostly benefiting from it are like all the people who haven't acted yet, the cutoff and the button. Like they're the ones who are making most of the money from that call. It's probably bad for you. I mean, it's good for you when you have a hand that dominates that, but you know, a lot of just stuff you're opening in early position, like if you have ace king and in position calls with queen nine, like you're probably not making money from that. Well, it's a, it's assuming that they're going to realize their equity properly in position, right? Because like they should naturally realize a little bit better, but like if they're going to still make compounding mistakes post-flop, even with position, like I think we still win more more than our first share. Maybe not as much as we want to, but like, I mean, this is why we open a little bit tighter to begin with, right? It's just kind of like mitigate like the positional disadvantage. So like mm -hmm. open up a little bit tighter. They're calling wider, which is making our range stronger. They probably lack the skills to properly realize for equity. That gives us more edge. So, like, I think we recoup more and more of our more of our edge. Um, and I think we still win more than our first share for sure. I'm really looking forward to when solvers get to the point that we can do like free flop node locking to actually test this because it's the sort of thing where like. You know, I, I like. I think the the things that you're saying right now also make a lot of sense. And I would. I mean, the the, the solver thing is still not going to account for people like under realizing equity after the flop. But it's just it's very frustrating to me that I don't really have like I I sort of see theoretical arguments in both directions. And I I'm I'm so used to now being able to like I'm so spoiled by solvers and being able to like test theory that not being able to do it in this case is you can probably hear it in my voice. It's like really eating at me. <laughs> But you you can use HRC to know about preflop. That's a good point. Yeah, that's that's what I do. Like I do a lot of like preflop no locking, whether it's GPV or ICM, especially for me because like like I'll play like any tournament binds from like three hundred to ten k, and when you're playing the smaller binds, there's a lot of like limping, a lot of massive openings, uh, multi ways, so it's like what the fuck do I do? Because like, if you pull up wizard, like there's obviously they don't have this because it's not supposed to be a theoretical thing. So I would use HRC and like, I ran like all these spots. Like I ran spots against like limping. I ran spots against big sizings, um, motorway. Like I ran all these uh, things. I mean, yeah, it's, it's out there. So I'm assuming you don't use HRC, you know, for uh, no, yeah, I, I am, am we're, we're sponsored by GT Wizard and I like have access to that. So I, I kind of forget that other stuff is even out there. I'm just sort of like, you know, I, I'm not like prohibited from using it. I just like, I don't, I don't think about it. So I'm, I'm glad that you mentioned it. Well, I know Wizard uses HRC for the preflop sims. So there's that. <laughs> but um, when you do your own thing, um, you know, like when you need like to custom things, and and, and I I'm gonna be so happy like when Wizard comes out with a more proper preflop stock to like do more of what kind of HRC is doing. That's gonna be amazing with the AI thing. But for now, you know, HRC is great for that. Like um yeah, like I I I literally like ran like uh, the same like overnight just to like custom some custom solve some things. Uh, but yeah, it's like really amazing uh, for that. So like with a situation of like, like, do we want to open uh bigger or smaller? 
is literally comes down to like, are we getting denied equity, right? So like, this is why I said like, if we're not getting denied equity, like the pre-flop solver like will open more and it doesn't mind opening bigger. So like, I'm pretty confident in that, but like the moment we start getting denied equity, aka squeezing a three betting, then we have to like open smaller and a more proper range. Um, so we can like have the proper response with calling for betting and all that stuff. Cause it's gonna like really screw up the future SPR and all that stuff. Cool, thank you for that. I will say one other little data point for you. I was watching yesterday some of the old footage on YouTube of um, Pluribus playing against the Poker Pros. And I noticed that Pluribus, uh, for people who don't know, that was an, an AI that they taught to play multiplayer poker. And it was yeah. able to beat a collection of Poker Pros. And um, it was using a 2.5x size, 100 bigs deep from early position. So that's another thing you can throw into your, your things to think about. Interesting. Thank you. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's cool to know. Yeah. Uh, do you ever limp? Uh, or specifically open limp preflop in a in a you know, deep stack cash game situation? I have it in my back pocket, <laughs> but I would do it obviously as an exploit because it's not theoretically a thing. But the only times I find it anywhere near useful is to is is when the getting denied equity is such at a high rampant thing that it's like you can't even play range. And I'm talking about like you opening a three bet, four bet, five bet, like kind of like consistently. And there's been there's been games I've been like that. So it's like I can't even like even get to the point of trying to play like the middle of my range. So it's like I'm just gonna limp everything and then have a limp three bet, four bet, squeeze like kind of thing and like kind of put the onus back on them kind of thing. But it takes all like those special, special games. And like it's very, very, very spin like that. But the few times I have been part of those games, I will have like that limping strategy in the back pocket. It's worked out like really nice, actually. Yeah, I, I wrote a thing a long time ago, back when Two Plus Two Magazine still existed. It was called uh, "Open Minded About Open Limping," and it was kind of this like the back pocket is a very good way of, of putting that. I was just like, I think some some people have it in their head that it's just like inherently fishy, you know, and like that's their number one goal is not to be perceived as a fish rather than to like play perfectly or you know make the most money. There's like, I just don't want to do something. I mean, they won't say that, but I think that's how a lot of people operate. Yeah. It's just like I don't want to do something that could cause me to be perceived as a fish. And like, yeah, in in the right condition, like if you know there, it's just like it's an ultra aggressive game. Whether it is like three, four, five bets, or just there's one person, you're just like, I just know that guy's going to raise like 80% of the time that it's on him. Like, why would you ever raise first? Like, <laughs> Limp, let right. that guy reopen the action for you, find out what everyone else does, and then you can decide how you want to play your hand. Yeah, and, and now that I'm like saying it out loud, like, and thinking about like HRC, like the, the actual proper response would be, and, and this is me not, not having ran it like with limps, but like when when I allow the the HRC to like only um do raising or folding, what it would do is like open like one or two pips tighter, um so it doesn't open fold too much, and then it will like very aggressively like four bet raise slash jam, you know, because their three betting is like so egregious that like when you just like jam on them, it's like there's only so much calling they could do, you know. So so if anything, that might be the more proper response, but. I'm um, random with limbs. I, I would imagine it would do something like this in, in terms of not getting the net equity. But it has to be balanced, obviously, because you, you need like top and bottom of range. So yeah. They, either one of those two things. Um limb range or like 
open tighter and then I have a, a really aggressive format strategy too. Yeah, it was um, su su surprising to me to hear, or funny to me to hear um, us talking to Fausto about limping because Fausto and I first ran into each other. It must have been around like 2015 or 16 during like the, the red chip poker days. And I remember going to a um, meetup game and playing at the table with him. And I don't know if this is still true, but at that time, I think Fausto was known for like punishing lepers and like being very <laughs> aggressive with three betting. And so to hear him say that he also has a limp in his back, back pocket is kind of funny. I feel I feel like the 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 adjustment you mentioned of like opening just a little bit tighter and playing the four bet more aggressively is this sort of thing that at least at that time I would assume from you more so than like you know fighting limps with limps or fighting aggression with limps I should say yeah and now that I think about it I think we played probably golden nugget for the meetup games if not it was like Caesars now that I'm like backtracking and thinking about it. But yeah, it is, it is interesting because because it's all about like, I mean, I didn't really know this back then. It just kind of felt a little bit more natural. But like now that I have more experience, it's like it's all about like not getting denied equity and be able to like realize your equity. So it's like, how do we accomplish that? And it's like, well, if you're going to open and get three, four or five bet and like you can't even see the flop and, you know, you can't even like stack off properties like and you're ultimately getting denied equity it's like all right well what's a better way of realizing our equity it's like we'll start limping right like make the spr smaller and give yourself an opportunity down the road to actually be able to like call some hands and play post or um deny them their equity as opposed to the other way around right and that way you could probably realize your equity so like when you start framing things like this it's like you start finding other paths and like, yeah, you might look fucking stupid like doing some <laughs> of these things, but like, who gives a shit? Like, like the the optimal poker is just doing what's best given the dynamics. That's all it is, right? Like, like people have a misconception that GTO is like playing a specific way. Like, it's like no, like proper GTO is like being optimal given the the variables. And if these are the variables given to me, it's like you need to adapt so you can actually like print money. Sometimes that means like being fucking crazy, like. Like I was in a bounty tournament the other day and it's like the bounty was worth so much. It's like I'm incentivized to like bring in players that will otherwise fold because I cover them, but I need them in. So it's like, how can I bring them in if they're going to overfold when I open, which is like nice. But like I need to bring them in because I need to give them a chance to like play post and and stack them. So it's like, well, start limping. So I just started limping. And I remember, like, I limped a button this one time because I had two short stacks in the small blind and big blind. And the small blind was, like, so fucking confused. Like, he didn't know what to do. <laughs> and he was just, like, tanking forever. And we're just pre-flopping. He's just, like, genuinely, like, baffled. And I'm, like, and I just started dying laughing because, like, I recognize what's happening. And I'm, like, this is so fucking fun. Like, this guy's just fucking, like, lost right now. But, uh, yeah, I'm just, like, trying to get him in because I need his fucking bounty. So yeah, it's just like shit like that. It's like pretty fun. This is one of the things that I think is so dangerous for people who are not, you know, for playing formats like a, a bounty tournament or a mystery bounty, or I don't know if you were around for like the anti-up days on um, uh, Poker Stars used to have tournaments that didn't have uh, the blinds never increased. They raised the antis instead. And um, so these things, they, they sort of, they look like regular no limit events. 
but they're actually the, the strategy for them can be quite different. And people who haven't but like I've, they're very dangerous because they feel familiar, you know. And so people are like, "Oh yeah, it's like it's basically a no limit tournament." Like, no, it's really not. Like, it's right. it's it's quite a different thing. Your incentives are are very different. And if you try to play it like a regular tournament, like you're gonna get uh, torn apart. Right. Yeah. Yeah. People miss a lot of opportunities not recognizing the format, like different incentives for sure. Like like in my bounty tournament, like people were playing a regular, and I'm like, you guys are missing so much opportunity because like. Like the bounty was worth like 2k and you wouldn't get a 2k payout until like final like 25 or something and we were like 180 people left and it's like if you're, like, you're not fighting for bounties right now like you're just like missing the whole point point. and then at some point the structure will like flip-flop and like yeah pay jumps are more worth more than the the bounties uh but until then like you gotta like change your strategy so so yeah like to, to like what you said, like you gotta like understand your incentives and change your strategy for sure. I mean, I assume this was kind of the origin of tournaments way back whenever you know tournament poker was invented, was to again like for people who are used to playing ring games, you know, just playing a tournament at all, of course, creates quite different incentives for you. And so again, you're just like putting people into a situation that feels familiar to them, but that a, a professional or someone who's actually like thought about and understands the theory of poker. You know, however much you needed to understand it in like the 1960s or something to be a winning player, they're like they're going to adapt better to that, and it's like tournaments are going to reward uh, extreme nittiness more so than cash games are. And so, like if you're just like a nitty pro and you can get people to play with you in tournaments instead of in cash games, and they don't understand how to make those adjustments, like that's going to work out for you. A hundred percent. And like learning both, I think is like really beneficial. Like, like I personally gotten so much better, like understanding like different stack of like strategy, like high SPRs, low SPRs, like how things change. And then when ICM kicks in, like what are the new incentives, you know? So like now looking back at cash, I feel like cash is so easy, honestly, because it's like so stagnant. Yeah, uh, definitely learning more formats is definitely helpful for sure. Do you feel that way about learning different games as well? Like, you know, PLO or that kind of thing? Cause you gotta like, you gotta really understand like, uh, again, like different incentives and like strategy concepts that are more uh, prevalent to the format, right? So like, like PLO, for example, like you need to understand like more like robust equity, right? Like even though it exists in like No Limit, it's like more about polarity No Limit. Whereas like PLO is like more robust stuff. And it's like understanding that alone is so just like com completely changes like the way you structure like your ranges, your your pre-flop hands, and like the way you play post-flop, the way you look at textures. Like it's it's like so fucking crazy. Um, I wouldn't really know much more about like the other formats, although I play like other mixed games. But you know they have their own like little like you know tweaks and stuff that you gotta like change and stuff, right? But just like the example of PLO versus No Limit, like that alone has like big differences, you know? All of those, some are gonna be like comparable, but like it does change for sure. Got, gotta know your concepts, heuristics, uh, incentives for sure <laughs> to, keep, to keep changing and be proficient at it too. It's fucking hard sometimes. So are you in poker for the long haul now? Are you just like, okay, I, I found the thing that I like, I'm happy doing this. I'm gonna keep doing it for as long as I can. As long as they keep giving me money, man. Um, <laughs> I gotta pay the bills, man. You know, try to grow a family. Gotta, but yeah, man, I'm, I'm in it. You know, I sometimes wish the community could behave a little bit better. You know, but other than that, I love it. I love the game.
I'm always intrigued by it. I'm not bored by it. I, I'm a person that's always like trying to get better. So I'm constantly trying to like self-develop, whether it's like mentally or like strategically, like I really like the game. Um, and right now, like tournaments has like most of my intention until like I dive in back into like PLO or something like that. But yeah, um, I, I don't see myself doing anything else um, for now, for sure. Is there anything else you guys were hoping to talk about that we haven't gotten around to? I'm going to quickly um, give a couple of shout outs because talking to Fausto today reminded me of those um, Red Chip Poker meetups. And I'm curious, I don't know these guys' real names. I'm curious if these um, Twitter handles mean anything to Fausto because it's been a long time. And it's so funny, Andrew, that you mentioned, asked him if he was going to be around for the long haul because as I was reading these old tweets, that was the exact wording that somebody asked me about. Uh, oh, no, they asked me if I was coming to the next meetup. And I said, yeah, I'm going to be around for the long haul. So I kind of smiled <laughs> when I heard you say that. But there's this guy, um, Chip Extractor. Oh, uh, yeah, for sure. <laughs> yeah, he's he's a guy I remember from those days. And the other guy was um, Dirty Moose was his screen name. But I don't know either of those guys' real names. And what's funny is I looked on Dirty Moose's uh, Twitter uh, page and He's like running marathons and stuff now. That's like the second time I've run across somebody who I knew from like years ago in poker who's like running marathons and stuff now. Uh, the other one was T-Bone Poker. I can't remember his real name either, but man, shout out to those guys that are like, you know, changing their lives and, and getting their, their physical fitness in the shape. But yeah, when I think of um, Fosto, I think of those two guys too, Chip Extractor and Derek Miles. So I hope you guys are doing well out there. Yeah, Steve. Uh, Steve is out in Vegas. Uh, Steve, that's right. Steve was his name. That's right. Yeah, he's 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 great. He's doing great. Um, you know, it's out in Vegas doing his thing. And Moose is Matt. Uh, he lives in New York, and I don't know. He's just like a grumpy New Yorker, but you know, that's how he's always been. You know, um, right? He's cool. <laughs> yeah, he's he's cool. Well, speaking of cool, Fausto, it was cool getting to know you. Thank you for taking the time to talk with us. Thanks, man. Thanks for having me on. Um, I, I appreciate this. I've I've always like obviously like known about you for years. Um, I've always enjoyed the podcast, and I've always loved your work too. Like like your books, your content, like that stuff you put out for like Wizard. Like, I think it's fucking amazing. Um, I love reading the articles you put for like Wizard for sure. Like, I try to keep up with them as much as possible. I pick up you know a thing or here or two, add them to my my other back pocket. You know. <laughs> and yeah i think it's great so you're doing great stuff andrew i'm uh i'm a, I'm a fan for sure oh thank you that means a lot to me and it, it felt good just uh you know talking with you now and hearing that you were thinking about a lot of these things in uh in in the same way that i was is is reassuring yeah i appreciate it man all right have a good day okay guys Of a car, the light of the fair passage of a bill.